the Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the latest episode of Stories from the Trenches. If you haven't listened to us before, we are the podcast that is out and, and uncovering the really cool things that sales enablement professionals are doing all around the world and how they're tackling co- problems and challenges that are common to, to us all and bring that to you a couple times a month. And today, we're going to be talking about channel partner enablement with Ashley Butler from Appian. So, Ashley, welcome to the show, and maybe introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks for having me, Paul. I describe myself as a sales professional and an enablement leader. I've spent my entire career in the tech industry, first as a seller, then as an enabler. I currently lead our partner sales enablement efforts at a company called Appian out of the Washington, D.C. area. Appian is a unified platform for teams allowing companies to develop custom applications rapidly using low-code. The world's largest companies, like the U.S. Army, Merck, and Santander, use Appian to discover, design, and automate their most critical workflows. I've been with the company for close to six years and supporting the partner channel team for about a year and a half now. I want to give you a chance to also get the audience to know you a little bit at the personal level. I've lived in D.C. a couple of times, so I know what a foodie town it is. What is your favorite local restaurant and what's your go-to meal when you, when you get there? So my, my favorite chef in the area is a celebrity chef. Many people might actually know him. And Jose Andres owns a bunch of restaurants across really across the state. But he's got a number of restaurants here in the D.C. area. And my favorite restaurant that he owns in the area is called Haleo. And Haleo is a Spanish tapas restaurant. Mm. So whenever I go there, I get Spanish tapas as well as their house-made sangria. House-made sangria? That's cool. Yes. Very cool. Now I'm hungry for tapas. I haven't had tapas in a long time. All right. Uh, so many great choices there. I'm, I'm, um, I'm curious, are you in the Virginia, more the Northern Virginia area or are you living right in the district? I'm in the Northern Virginia area. Okay. I'm in the suburbs of DC. Which also has a lot of great food choices. So, all right, well, let's get into this whole concept of partner enablement. And again, just to be clear to everybody, you know, there's a lot that goes into channel enablement. You've got Direct reps that need to understand how to interact with partners if you have that kind of model. You've got the partner account managers themselves who need to understand, you know, where their role is, how they work with the direct reps, but also how they're enabling and growing their partners. And then you have the partners themselves. So we're going to we're going to focus today on those partners. 
help give us a little bit of a setup though, uh, Ashley. Where do you think partner sales enablement uh, should report? Is it a channel job? Is it a sales enablement job? I, th- I think that's a great question, Paul. And I went back and forth on this myself. Currently, I report into the senior director of field and partner sales enablement. Mm-hmm. And I have a dotted line to the VP of partner programs and operations. Okay. You can think of the sales enablement team as a shared service. With each member of our team assigned to a sales group. So in my case, my my customer is Mm -hmm. the partner sales team. I take my business requirements from the VP of partner programs as well as the other channel sales leaders. Personally, I I like this reporting structure a Mm -hmm. lot because Mm -hmm. it allows me to be aligned to both our field go-to-market as well as the partner go-to-market sales team. So I assume that there's a larger sales enablement team and, and, and effort there at, at Appian. And so would love to understand where your role kind of slots in with the work that they're doing and, and where you maybe have your own swim lane. How does that all work out? So the sales enablement team at Appian is a, a team of eight people total. And we support a department of nearly 500 employees mm-hmm. and then even more partners. So. The, the challenge of my job is taking what's working for our sales teams internally mm-hmm. and repackaging that, whether or not it's training or sales content, and making it available for our partners. A lot of times, the, the format that's working for us internally, for mm-hmm. example, we do a lot of instructor-led training internally. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily scalable when we look at releasing training for partners. But I'll take a lot of of that content that's developed internally and focus on repackaging it and making it available. All right. Let's, let's start at the beginning. You said you've been in this role about a year and a half. Did, did channel enablement exist or were you the first one to take it on? Channel enablement existed, but I was the first one to take it on as the, as a full-time job. Okay. We had some folks on the, the program team as well as some partner managers that were, sort of dabbling in enablement. Mm-hmm. But yes, to answer your question, I was the first full-time hire. Okay, great. Because I'm sure there are people listening that are perhaps just moving into this role. Uh, maybe their company's just developing a channel for the first time. Just different reasons that they might be in the early stages. And I'll bet they would love to hear from you. Where did you start? How did you prioritize? What was your, what was your let's just say the first year. Where did you focus? So in the first year, I would say I focused in four main areas. The first was on-demand. Second is virtual instructor-led workshops. Third, we'll call it training in a box. And then fourth is a sales asset library. So let me kind of dive into each of these with a bit more detail. That'd be great. First, I mentioned Mm on-demand. So scalability was perhaps my biggest challenge last year when starting to build this program really from the ground up. How can a team of one person train thousands of sellers located all, all across the globe? Historically, our company does a lot of instructor-led training, mm-hmm. but that just wasn't going to scale. So I got buy-in with the vice president of partner programs and our chief partner officer that we were going to make investments in an on-demand first approach. So with this, I really teamed up with our technical enablement team. That's a much more mature organization. The technical enablement team, we've got about 30 people 
developing technical enablement curriculum for customers, partners, and employees. So a much larger team, they already had an infrastructure in place for for this on-demand learning. So they had a learning management system in place. And I worked with a director on that team to build out a sales enablement catalog Mm -hmm. and really redefine that learning experience inside of the learning management system. So when a partner first logs into the system, they can select, are they a technical persona or are they a sales persona? And when they select sales persona, that's where they'll enter a course catalog, which is filled with courses that I had to build from scratch. So last year was a lot of building and a lot of curriculum writing. Mm-hmm. And with that, we thought, what are, the, what are the core things we need our partners to know about our products and our value proposition to be able to go out into the market and position Appian appropriately with their customers? And so we identified four core courses. And I worked to develop those as interactive e-learning courses mm-hmm. and package them together as a learning path. And then we branded this learning path as a certification program. We called it the Appian Sales Accreditation. Once we stood up the, um, the sales accreditation, I also teamed up with Partner Marketing to really promote the program with a series of campaigns. Before the campaigns were run, you could see kind of the minimal adoption. But then once the campaigns really started running in market, we quickly saw the uptake in the number of sales accredited partners. So that is that is something that's probably my biggest achievement in my first year. And I was really excited to stand that up. That, and that is that is a challenge. Um, having partner enablement as part of actually all three sales enablement programs I've built, I know it is a challenge. Partners are busy. You're trying to gain mind share. And and having them engage in those kinds of, you know, onboarding or development events, it, it is difficult. So, yeah, I'd be proud of that, too. Um, you mentioned quarterly virtual instructor, the structure, that's the name of the company I work for, uh, virtual instructor-led workshops. Is there is there a little bit more to talk about there? We didn't want to give up the idea of instructor-led workshops. But like I, like I mentioned before, we couldn't do everything in instructor-led. Mm-hmm. I was honestly running some trainings in the middle of the night, high time, to be able to support our partners in Japan. Right. So what I'm doing is I'm running a quarterly virtual instructor-led workshop. And we're picking a kind of key theme each quarter. And with that, the partner managers are responsible for reaching out and inviting their partners to join the workshop. The workshop you can think of as more of a, um, a skills practice and a coaching session. So we would recommend that the partner attend the on-demand curriculum and mm-hmm. get the Appian Sales Accreditation mm-hmm. and then come to the workshop to really refine and practice their skills. So they get a lot of um, interactive practice with um, even, even some customer case studies. So my guess is you were having to run those in at least a couple different versions of the same session to, you know, cover all the time zones that you do. Yes. Okay. So I, I run three okay. for all kind right. of three different time zones. So I run for North America, for EMEA, and then the region that we call ATJ. That seems really familiar because that's kind of our world over here too. There's teaching the partners, there's getting them certified, and then the next thing is you need them out. I mean, the whole idea of a channel is their force multiplier, right? And and so 
um, how do you, how do you set them up? Uh, you know, for um, you know, I don't know if you'd call it training in a box. I think you maybe actually did call it that. You know, what's the next step for them? I think in addition to the instructor led workshop, so I'm running a series of instructor led workshops quarterly. Mm-hmm. What we've found is that our global system integrators, if you think about CPMG, Emphasis, Cognizant, PCS, for example, they prefer more private enablement sessions. And I don't really have the capacity as a team of one to be able to run all of these private enablement sessions. Okay. So this um, this this idea actually was not my idea. This came up in a brainstorming session with the VP of Partner Programs. And she had this idea of something called training in a box. And so training in a box, you can think of as kind of a train-the-trainer model, mm-hmm. where me as a curriculum designer and program owner I'm supplying the partner manager with all of the content they need to run an enablement session. It includes the slides, the talk track, and the activities for a 60-minute instructor-led workshop. So the partner manager is actually responsible for the training delivery, but the training in the box allows the partner manager just to be able to pick something that already exists and be able to go deliver it. It also makes sure that all of our partner managers are now on the same page and singing the same tune when they go to enablement with their partners. That's a great point that I hadn't, I, yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, it would be so easy for partners who are often competitors. In fact, they usually are competitors, uh, you know, to each try to, you know, end up with their own twist on it because there's so many levels between what you're potentially, what you were creating and what their salespeople were saying. So it sounds like it was a really good way to keep that aligned Anything else in year one that you'd like to share? I think the last key thing, what we've talked about up to this point was a lot of training. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly I have a big training function. Uh, but the other piece that I really focused on was building a sales asset library for our partners. So my rule of thumb when it comes to sales collateral is that the collateral must be up to date. Mm-hmm. It must be relevant and it must be easy for the partner to find. We are competing with Mindshare for our partner's attention. Mm -hmm. So we've got to make it as easy as possible for the partner to work with us and to find the material they need in order to go sell Appian. So what I did is I gathered the latest pitch decks, messaging, customer case studies, and packaged and organized these in a way so that the partners could easily locate the materials via our partner portal. That was a lot to do in one year. What did you work on in year two? <laughs> Just because you did, you did so much building in that first year. And actually, you're in the middle of year two now. So how are, how are you building on the, all those, uh, uh, I'm going to just say, foundational things you put in place? Year one was definitely busy, and it was a big year for building. So in year two, I think I'm in a much better place because I have a good foundation there. Mm-hmm. So in year two, I'm focused on, I would say, upgrading that sales asset library that I talked about. Mm -hmm. The partner program team is in the process of launching a new partner portal, which I'm super excited about because it will improve our partner's experience with Appian Mm -hmm. and make it so much easier for them to navigate our systems, our processes, register deals, and locate sales assets. So I've been meeting with the partner program team to really lay out how should a salesperson navigate this system? What would a salesperson expect to find? What search terms would they use to be able to locate the materials they need? 
So I'm working with them now to migrate the assets over from our old partner portal into our new partner portal. And it's something we're going to be announcing next quarter. So I'm very excited for that initiative. Okay, everybody, you heard it here first. (laughs) That does sound... Um, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to say the next area that I am focused on, we talked about the the basic sales certification that we stood up. We called it the sales accreditation. This year, I'm going to be focusing on the pre-sales version of that sales accreditation. So we have partners out there that need to be able to demo our product and run a proof of concept. And right now, we don't have a whole lot of enablement in place to enable them to do so. So this year, I'm focusing on, well, what training do we need to put in place for our pre-sales engineers? And how do our partners actually get access to our demo library? So um, that's a big initiative for this year. And I'm teaming up with our what we call our, our pre-sales organization internally okay. to take some of those best practices and those demos and make them available to our partners. I assume there's more marketing activities uh, that you're doing this year to build on last year's? Absolutely. There's always more I can do around marketing. Mm -hmm. One thing I've learned in the channel enablement role is it's not a just build it and they will come. You've got to build it and then you've got to promote the heck out of it for them to come. So this year I'm doubling down and teaming up with a partner marketing team to do even more promotion of sales enablement. So that it's easy for partners to know what's the latest and greatest. What can they go and use right now? I'm also teaming up with them to run a series of webinars. So in the past, up until now, all of our webinars have been focused on the technical developer persona. So we enable our partners to build their own benches of developers to be able to deliver services. Um, so when we sell our products, there's a large services package that also comes along with it. Okay. And that's generally where a lot of our partners make, make some revenue. Right. We have not focused at all on the sales persona with these partners. So I'm teaming up with the partner marketing team to think through really at like, think about like campaign planning. So in Q1, like what's our big theme? What do we want our partner doing? What, what do we need to enable the sales persona to do. And so we're mapping it out by quarter. And this year, it's committed to deliver four webinars. And that could be me delivering the webinar myself or tapping other subject matter experts across the company. And really what I'm just having to do is, is coordinate that webinar and coach the subject matter experts on, well, what's the partner spin on this message? How do we get our partners excited about this? What's the key call to action? So I am really excited to team up with the partner marketing team as well as our subject matter experts from across the company to bring this new modality or to bring this new modality to partner sales enablement. I'd like to pivot for a minute and hopefully I don't well, I don't think it's really a, a, a personal question, but let's talk compensation. There are a lot of there are different philosophies on how sales enablement professionals should be compensated, and there are certainly various models that they are compensated. In your experience, what do you think it should be, whether that's just sales enablement in general or specifically channel enablement? What sort of model do you recommend? That's interesting you say that, Paul. I've definitely been on a number of different compensation plans. So I've been in enablement for seven years now, and I think my comp plans changed every two years or so. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I can speak to this year. This year, I'm gold on the growth of the partner sales accreditation as well as new program launches. Okay. So my, my KPIs are based on those goals. Okay. Right. I foundationally believe that compensation should be based on base pay plus a bonus structure. And that bonus structure could either be aligned to your KPIs or in some circumstances, sales revenue. So for me personally, my bonus structure is based on our sales goals and sales revenue. Mm-hmm. And I would say that works well for me. And maybe it's because of my background, you know, so many years in sales. That's actually a model that that I've followed uh, with, well, for myself, but also with my teams. I agree with you very much there. I, I feel like, and, and I've also seen KPIs factored in, but at some point, the enablement team, I feel, should not go home just fat and happy every every two Fridays or whatever the pay cycle is, regardless of whether the sales team is flying or they're dying. Um, and, and having skin in that game, I agree with you. I, I, think, I think it changes maybe the mindset of the enablers a little bit, but I've also found it gives some credibility when salespeople find out, which, you know, they don't always, but you know how things go, things get out. That, that, that there's an element of that variable compensation that's tied to to their collective number. I, I've seen salespeople be really surprised, but also it's always kind of cool. I would agree with you, Paul. I think um, one conversation I had with my management recently is, okay, should my number be tied to the overarching sales number mm-hmm. or should it be tied to the partner number? Mm-hmm. And personally, I'm good with either one because I've got to enable the field on how to sell with partners and I've got to enable our partners to be able to sell with the field. So. Right. I'm good with either either number, but I do find being tied to sales goals, I find that extremely motivating. And I think that also goes back to my background in sales. I'm I'm used to having a comp plan and I find them very motivating. So I have two more questions for you. Here's the first one. You've shared a lot of information and a lot of specific information that, that people can take action on. But if they needed to have maybe just three takeaways from your advice you know any anything you just maybe last pieces you want to just recap for me or for the audience so if i were to summarize everything in three key takeaways the first takeaway would be build relationships so when you look at your audience you should be building relationships with partner marketing partner programs and operations as well as the partner sales team leaders and this will really promote alignment across your different audiences I consider the partner team to be my customer, so it's important for me to touch base with them weekly and make sure that we're all aligned. The second key takeaway is think on demand to scale training. And so make those investments in your learning management system in standing up interactive e-learning. It will take more time and more investments up front to build, but once you launch it, it becomes very self-service. So it will actually save you more time and more money in the long run. And then third, think self-service to scale content management. So we are making more investments with the new partner portal and the sales asset library. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's really important to think about how can I make enablement as self-service as possible? Or how can I make enablement as self-service as possible to make it easy for the partner? So now here's the final question, and it's sometimes it's usually my favorite part of the podcast, even with all the other cool stuff I get to talk with people about. If you had a way to go back 
and have a one-on-one with a younger version of yourself. Maybe you're still in school, maybe you're starting your career, it doesn't really matter, um, except what you think of. What would be the number one thing that you'd want to be able to share and coach that younger version of yourself about that you know now? Interesting question, Paul. I think I have some perfectionistic tendencies. And certainly if I were to look way back at the beginning of my career, I tend to overthink things Mm -hmm. and obsess about delivering the perfect product or the perfect training, the perfect enablement. And I think one of the things that's really challenging about working in tech is it's not always going to be perfect. You're not always going to have everything you would want in an ideal world enabled in order to create your enablement. But I think the important thing about enablement is being able to take the requirements and build the best product you can in the short amount of time you have to actually develop it. Uh, so it's, it's less about being perfect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes good enough is perfect. Good enough is plenty. And then you can move on and do the next project. And I think that's really a lesson I've had to learn over my career. Uh, when I started at Appian, that wasn't the beginning of my career, but it was the beginning of my enablement career. Mm-hmm. And when I started at Appian, we were 500 employees, a much smaller company. Now we're 2,000 employees. We went public in 2017. And it's just a really fast-paced tech company. So there is no room to obsess about being perfect. But, you know, I do believe in quality work, but sometimes it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be good enough. Thanks for sharing that. Like, like I said, for me, it's, it's always fascinating to sit back and listen to the things that people learned over their career and, and, and how they're looking at them. So, again, thank you for that. Well, everybody, guess what? We're at the end of another episode. We have been, I've been speaking with Ashley Butler from Appian. We've been talking specifically about the critical role of partner enablement in the sales enablement overall strategy for companies that have channel partners. Come back in two weeks. We'll have an equally compelling guest and an equally compelling topic, and we hope you can join us. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org.